The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data, Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Shapiro, and today we're going to discuss the recent turbulence in the banking industry and what it means for the MarTech industry. Joining us is Ian Kay, who's the executive director at Fifth Third Bank, which operates four main businesses, including commercial banking, branch banking, consumer lending, and wealth and asset management. Headquartered in Cincinnati, Ohio, Fifth Third Bank is among the largest money managers in the Midwest. And Ian is not only part of their corporate banking team, he's also my former roommate. So I'm going to bust his chops here, and we're going to learn a little bit about what happened to SVB. Ian Kay is also a former employee of Silicon Valley Bank. And today we're going to talk about just that. What happened to Silicon Valley Bank? All right, here is the first part of my conversation with Ian Kay, the executive director at Fifth Third Bank. Ian, I can't believe our world's colliding. I can't believe you are actually going to be my guest here on the MarTech Podcast. You're in my world now, Grandma. Welcome <laughs> to the MarTech Podcast. It's come full circle. I used to steal food out of the refrigerator when we lived together from you. And now we're talking about a bank blowing up. It's an unbelievable world we live in. Dude, you broke my couch the first week you moved into my apartment, and I still haven't forgot about it, but maybe being my guest on the MarTech podcast is your chance to make up for it. So I think the people here don't want to hear me wax poetic about how much better the Golden State Warriors are than the Cleveland Cavaliers, a conversation you and I have had many times. They probably want to hear something relevant to what's happening with marketing, capital markets, actually something you might know a little bit about other than championships in the NBA. So Ian, as much as I want to give underhanded comments about our basketball teams, can you tell me what the hell just happened to Silicon Valley Bank? Honestly, it's really unprecedented. And you look back at 08 when Bear Stearns went down, that was more of a kind of getting greedy, self-inflicted wound. Here you have a little bit of both and I kind of break it down for you guys. So SCB has a different business model than a lot of the many banks globally. So they focus obviously on the tech sector. They bank 50% of the startups in the entire country. So key player in that tech ecosystem. And the majority of their clients are not making money. So they are funding these companies who raise these large capital rounds. So think about a company raising 100 million on a Series C. SME would come in with like around 20 or 25 million of venture debt or some kind of debt facility 
to help accelerate growth and also to help the capital structure and extend runway and give more liquidity. So these companies would all bank with SVB and they come in with these huge deposits, right? Like I said, they're raising these large rounds. And so SVB was once, I think, a $19 billion bank like 10 years ago. And through growth and all this, it grown to like a $212 billion bank, 16th largest bank in the country. Insane, crazy growth. And a lot of that growth was with these large, large deposits. Rounds got bigger, more capital came in, debt was cheap. So they definitely capitalized on that. And so when a bank, what they do with these deposits, when they get these large, large deposits, they got to do something with it. So most of the time, all these banks invest like how you and I would invest. And so they decided in, I think, 2019 to buy a bunch of treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. So mortgage-backed securities, that's what got us into some trouble in 2008. Basically, you're taking somebody's mortgage or a whole bunch of different mortgages, you're rolling them up into one financial product, and you're basically betting on the housing market to have a return, right? That's the same thing that happened in 2008, but the bottom fell out of the housing market. My same type of securities? Yes, but you got to keep in mind, there's been a ton of regulation since 08 to prevent that. And what happened with the mortgage-backed securities in 08, they're giving loans to anybody. Your sons could go get a loan. Would you trust your sons with any type of loan? I don't trust my sons with lightsaber plastic toys yet. So no, not ready for an entire mortgage. So those mortgage mortgage, mortgage-backed securities, some of them are made up with poor FICO scores, poor credit, because they had houses and banks were greedy, wanted interest rates, wanted income and fees and fees and fees and fees. They gave loans to anybody they wanted. So that's all done now. So the mortgage-backed okay. securities that SB invest, invest in now has nothing to do with it. They're probably sound assets, safe assets, like a treasury bond. Okay. So they're taking the money in from all the venture capitalists that give their money to the startups, and then the bank has the money, and then they go invest that money into a bunch of other stuff to try to turn their, you mentioned, $200 million into $210 million, and that's the bank's profit. So what went wrong? Well, this is what happened. So all of those billions and billions of dollars they're managing, all of these deposits, 56% of them went into treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. When you look at fifth third on our balance sheet, we only did like maybe 15 or 10%. And we bought ours in 2022 when rates were somewhat better, were pretty decent. So okay. SCB bought all of theirs in 2019. So they bought it like at 1%. So mm-hmm. what's happened since 2019, Ben, is interest rates have just skyrocketed very quickly. So there's a direct correlation when interest rates go up, bonds go down. So they hold those bonds on the balance sheet and the value of those bonds go down. That makes sense? Yeah. So they basically bought an asset that became a devalued asset because the interest rates increased. Exactly. And so these are all long duration. They all have 10-year maturities. So when you're holding a bond making 1%, but there's bonds out there now that are making like 5%, where are people going to put their money? So what they did was, all right, hey, how about this? We will go ahead and take a loss on these bonds and sell the assets and take the loss, go raise equity and fresh capital in the markets to absorb their loss. And they were trying to sell equity from the company and also in get inject equity from like a private equity as well. Okay. So let me make sure that I understand this because that seems like it's important. The SVB takes a bunch of money, takes $200 billion from all the venture capitalists and all the startups around the world 
and they put all this money into some things that they think are relatively safe. The interest rate goes up, the assets that they invested in became less valued, and all of a sudden they don't have the same value that they had. Now, I understand that that's why the SVB stock is worth less, that there's a 10-year maturity to some of the bonds and some of the assets that they bought, and they're not worth $200 million anymore. What I don't understand is why that led to this sort of crisis and them dissolving the bank. Okay, so they lost a bunch of money. Obviously, that's not great, but not like everybody was asking for their deposits all at once. They had $200 billion. They lost a bunch of money, goes down to $100 billion, but people aren't asking them for the rest of the money right now. Is that the case? No, no. So you're kind of getting there. So what really happened is when they posted this loss, it was $2 billion. So that's a gigantic loss. It's a realized loss. All right. They're not going to carry down their books. They realize when you sell a stock, you realize that gain. If you don't sell the stock and it's gaining, you don't realize it. But here they sold everything. They automatically realize that loss. And what happened was, Ben, is that flipped their assets and liabilities upside down and it killed their equity. And so technically, they were insolvent, which means they have a lot more liabilities and a lot less assets. So it killed their equity value. That's what this thing did. And once that got word out, the VC funds were like, oh, this thing is insolvent. We got to get our money out. We're only insured up to 250K and they're handling billions of deposits. So you're seeing the VC funds, Peter Thiel even said, hey, I'm telling all my companies to take all their money out of SVB. So if SVB had time, Ben, to raise money, I believe they would have gone out of this. But everything happened so quickly. And because the VCs freaked out and pulled their money, that was the thing that killed the bank, in my opinion. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then, and instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. So... I've got $200 billion in a bank and I tell everybody, hey, guys, I lost $2 billion. I'm going to need to raise some capital to make sure that I have enough money to cover my deposits. Venture capitalists hear that and they say, uh-oh, this bank only has $198 billion. They've got $2 billion of deposits. If everybody pulls them 
not everybody's going to get paid. I'm pulling my money first. That is essentially what started this downward spiral. Am I getting it right? Yeah, it's called a bank run, which is a death to a bank because all banks live off deposits. Okay, so everybody starts pulling their money out of the bank and all of a sudden, yikes, there's a bank run. One person starts pulling, somebody else hears about it, and we're all pulling our money out of the bank and there's not enough money to cover all of the deposits. So it seems like that's when the federal government stepped in, Am I, or I guess it was the state of California as well. Is that what stopped the sort of bank run? That's exactly it. So that created mayhem and panic. And got keep in mind, not a lot of people like retail, like you don't see the retail banks around the state of California for SVB, right? They take a lot of big chunks of money. So it's not like you and I banking with them. It's a lot of them is business banking. Yeah, we're not going to the ATM and taking out our startup's capital to pay payroll. Exactly. So the combination of both of those really killed them. And one, I think the VCs panicking, that was the second part. But the first part was SVB buying those bonds in 2019 and honestly falling asleep at the wheel because we all knew interest rates were rising. Fed was up front with it. Biden administration was up front with it. We want to get inflation down. So they kept raising rates. If SVB tackled this earlier and not all at once, they'd probably be out of the situation and still be around. Okay. So their problem was that they made the decision all at once to start basically flipping the capital that they lost. They recognized the whole loss at one period of time and everybody got spooked and the VCs said, give me my money because I don't want to be the last person in line. Yeah, basically. So talk to me about the response to this. It seems like now there's been an announcement that everybody is insured. All the deposits from SVP are guaranteed by the FDIC. What's FDIC? How are they insuring this? Who's paying the bill now that the federal government and the state of California have come in and said everybody's going to get their money back? What they did is they probably have lines of credit from the government that's helping out, but they're not getting a bailout because SVP, its core business, is actually phenomenal in doing well. And what I mean by that, Ben, is the companies that they were lending to, the funds that they were funding through the subscription business, their wealth management, their investment banking, all of them were performing. Like if you look at the bank itself, it's a performing bank. So when the FDIC came in and looked at their assets, and they probably weren't able to recoup most of the money, but also they had to draw some on the Fed line to help put in more capital. So the public combination of both, it's not a pure bailout when they're getting these huge checks. Not at all, obviously, because SVB is not around anymore. So they come in and their main goal was to back the depositors. And they've done that and they did a great job. The ones who are going to be out are the shareholders and the bondholders on the bank. Okay, so explain this to me in English now. This is not a government bailout. So SVB has all of their deposits drawn and they're billions of dollars short being able to pay back everybody the deposits they want to draw from the bank. And the government steps in and says, okay, somebody needs to pay for these billions of dollars. How is that not a government bailout? Because they're using assets sold. I'm not exactly sure of how the semantics work, but they're going to break apart the bank and sell it. And there's definitely value in assets to all the loans out there. They can sell those and they may get 80 cents down. They may get 100 cents. They'll get something for it. They're going to get money for those loans. But this is not coming from our taxes. This is coming from the Fed's line of liquidity credit, which they already have. Like my bank, we can draw on $60 billion if we need it. We don't need to do that. But they have lines of credit for these situations to help back depositors and also get people paid back. Okay, so what I'm hearing you say is that the bank as an institution had 
lines of credit with the federal government that were existing that they can draw from. They also had assets that basically are going to be put up for sale that are more than the value of the balance of deposits that they wouldn't be able to pay back. And so I would think I would think yes. Okay. So essentially the bank was actually still more valuable than the total amount of deposits. They just didn't have that. It's a liquidity crunch. They didn't have that much cash on hand. So when everybody asks for their money back, they can't actually give them the cash. It's sitting there in another asset class that has to be liquidated and then given. Ben, you hit it right in the head. And that's the difference between what happened in 08 and right now. 08, those, that was a credit problem. You had people defaulting on loans galore. In this situation, no credit problem, no customers, large customers defaulting and them taking a write-off. It was purely, it seemed like a self-inflicted kill for them. So that's the difference. There's nothing to do with the bank's customers or credit profile, anything like that. It was literally just the risk management of those deposits. And now, Ian, last question I have for you today. You used to work at Silicon Valley Bank. And I remember you saying it was a place that you enjoyed working. You had had great relationships with the people that were there. It seems like a portion of this was, let's put it bluntly, mismanagement in terms of when to buy the right assets. Like they played their hand relatively badly and it ended up resulting in them defaulting. Reconcile this for me. The people that work at Silicon Valley Bank or worked at Silicon Valley Bank are your peers, people that you've had a great relationship with, but you're saying that there's some mismanagement here. Who is at fault here for this mistake? It's definitely none of the people I worked with. This is nothing to do with the lending team or any of the core employees. It starts at the C-suite and every bank has a chief risk officer or treasurer. And their job is, like I said, take those deposits and invest them. Because bank makes something called net interest margin. Let me explain what that is real quick. So Ben, you make 1% on your checking account. They take your deposits and they invest it and they try to make more than 1%. And that's called their net interest margin. Sure. So that's a job of a treasurer or a chief risk officer. And to be honest with you, they fell asleep at the window. And same with the CEO. I mean, I've met Greg Becker, really nice guy. I think he's a really smart CEO. He grew SVB immensely the past 40 years. So like I said, it's not a credit issue. It's the C-suite falling asleep at the wheel, sitting on these bonds where they knew rates were just going to keep increasing, increasing. That's what it is. You know, I'm going to pull this back to marketing here for a second that everybody's listening to. Sure, we're not bankers. We're not CFOs. Hopefully we're CMOs. And it sounds like what we're hearing about with Silicon Valley Bank is something that happens in marketing a lot. You fall asleep at the wheel. You rely on one marketing channel. Boy, my Google ads have been performant forever. I was reliant on Facebook and Instagram to drive my e-commerce sales. Well, look, all of a sudden, there is a seismic shift. Apple pulls the data from Facebook. All of a sudden, the targeting isn't as good, and, and you keep relying on that channel because it's been performing and performing, and you're just not continually innovating, and you're not paying attention. You're not focused on what the market conditions are right now. And the next thing you know, your marketing program can be the next SVP. And we're going to talk about what that means in our next episode. So that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Ian Kay, Executive Director at Fifth Third Bank. Join us again tomorrow when Ian and I continue our conversation talking about what SVP's collapse means for the MarTech industry. If you can't wait till our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Ian, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. Or you can visit his company's website, which is Fifth Third Bank, which is 53.com.
Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter and you can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or you can contact me directly. My handle is Ben J. Schapp, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.